Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Digital marketing has moved forwards, but most consulting firms haven't. Many consulting firms still see their corporate blog as their sole digital marketing channel and find themselves frustrated when these blogs yield little, if any, results. For those consultancies that understand digital marketing, though, it can be a huge asset and help them achieve rapid business growth. In fact, at Create Engage, we've recently written a case study of one successful consulting firm that used digital marketing to help them grow over 400% in just three years. Having spent countless hours researching consulting firms and consulting leaders for this podcast, it became very clear that while some firms do digital marketing well, the vast majority of consulting firms struggle to leverage its power and don't know where to start. To help those of you who want to harness the power of digital marketing to grow your consulting business, but don't have the knowledge, capacity, or in-house capability to do so, I launched Create Engage, the first digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As former consultants ourselves, we understand the challenges that you face when it comes to delivering effective digital marketing that engages prospective clients and generates leads. Having worked in the industry, we understand consulting buyers, what resonates with them and what doesn't. This enables us to harness the latest in digital marketing in a way that aligns with your brand and your market positioning to attract the prospective clients that you're looking to target. We understand that each consultancy is unique and have a range of services to help you shape, implement and sustain effective digital marketing strategies that deliver results, regardless of where you are on your digital marketing journey. If you would like to find out more about how Create Engage can help you use digital marketing to take your business to the next level, then send me an email at nick at createengage.co.uk or go to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can download that free case study that breaks down the digital marketing strategies used by one successful consulting firm to help them grow over 400% in just three years and gives you the secrets they used so that you can apply them in your own firm. If you want to outpace your competitors and stand out in the crowded consulting market, then get in touch. We'd love to help you grow your business through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to Climbing Consulting. Today's episode represents a huge landmark for the show, and I can't believe we are here already. Today's episode is episode 50 of Climbing Consulting, and it is crazy to think that something that I started as a little side project almost two years ago has grown to where it is now. To celebrate episode 50 and do something a little different, I wanted to turn the tables and actually take a dose of my own medicine. Today's episode is taken from a live YouTube recording that we did a couple of months ago and sees me interviewed by my good friend, Create Engage client, and host of the fantastic 40-minute mentor podcast, James Mitra from JBM. Over the last two years, I have spoken to countless podcast listeners on all sorts of topics relating to how to climb in consulting. We have spoken about everything from my advice for getting into the consulting industry through to why I left and the guidance I give people if they're thinking of leaving the industry. And also more recently, since launching Create Engage, my advice for how to start your own business or how to move out of consulting and become an independent contractor. And now I've spoken to a number of people on a one-on-one -on -one basis on this, but I wanted to bring all of this together 
and give you the chance to find out a little bit more about me, find out a bit more about my journey, and hopefully learn a few things that may help you along the way. It's worth saying that as this was being recorded live for YouTube, there were a few little hiccups with the audio in just the first five to 10 minutes. So please bear with it. After that first 10 minutes or so, everything gets back to normal and it is just the same as all of my other interviews and just the quality you would expect of any episode of Climbing Consulting. Likewise, it's worth saying that James and I, before this interview, we'd had dinner, we'd had a few non-alcoholic beers, and we were both nicely relaxed by the time we came to the interview. So we jump around a little in this conversation, we go back and forth, we dive off into some tangents, a few anecdotes, but please stick with us. We cover some hugely important topics and ones that I know many of you have wanted to hear about. We cover some great listener questions and many topics that I know from speaking to people informally that people are struggling with and need help with. So I really hope that you get something of value from this interview and from the areas that we talk about in it. So with all of that said, sit back, grab your own alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage, and without further ado, please enjoy my interview for Climbing Consulting. This is live video and we'll be going out on audio on the podcast. This will be episode 50. I can't believe that we're at episode 50 already. It's crazy. And very kindly, my good friend James Mitra from JBM also runs his own podcast, 40 Minute Mentor, which I highly recommend checking out, and I'm sure we'll touch on later, has agreed to interview me. So, I don't usually do these sort of things. The podcast is very much about my guests and about sharing their learnings and their insights. But I know from a number of you have reached out and it's actually a guest of mine who suggested it. You know, you thought you might want to hear some things from me. So hopefully this is an interesting interview for you. You find it useful and we will see where we go from there. So yeah, should we kick off, mate, and, and see, see how it goes? Great stuff. Well, Nick, thank you for letting me do this. Much appreciated. I am a big fan of the podcast and have listened to you on the other side of the mic. So it's a, it's a pleasure to turn the tables and, and hopefully ask some challenging questions. But yeah, I guess that to kick things off, I, I wanted to ask you a, a question that I ask all of my guests on the 40 Minute Mentor. Uh, shameless plug. Sure, um, mate, mate. <laughs> do you mind giving us and our listeners uh, an overview of your CV in 30 seconds, please? Oh, 30 seconds. I've and I'm going to count one. this. <laughs> Shall I let you get the, the timer out? Right, the timer's up. Tell me when to go. Okay, three, two, one, go. Didn't have a clue what to do after university. Family friend, by chance, had a job at the FSA. Told me about it. Sounded brilliant. Internship there. Grad job there. Got tired of it. Moved into consulting. Got tired of it. Moved into a state agency. Failed at a state agency. Became a contractor. Started a podcast. Then went, launched a digital marketing agency. And that brings us up to speed. How did I do? 18 seconds. That's a record. <laughs> there you go, mate. You wanted it. I didn't want to overrun. So. No. Excellent. And, and it, even though it was 18 seconds, there is plenty for us to unpack over the course of this conversation. I guess that given the name of your podcast and your background in consulting, I think that's probably a good place to start. So can you, I guess, enlighten us a bit on, on how you got into consulting and, and for you, what were the biggest lessons, transferable skills that you've learned sort of in your consulting journey, I guess, particularly at Baringa? Yeah, so so how did I get into consulting? So there's a theme, a lot, a lot by chance. And I think it was 
when I was a grad, sort of going at university, I, I looked at consulting. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, and consulting sounded great. So I applied for a few, got a, uh, an interview at Deloitte, and I remember it was the guy must have thought I was an idiot. It was an awful interview, and I remember leaving there, and it was something about it was something about some case study about a mining village. I don't know, but anyway, failed miserably there, and it was more that. As I'd spent time at the FSA, I love what you do at the regulator. And, you know, people, if anyone ever sort of thought it's boring, it's not. You know, I've, I was in more boardrooms as a 21-year-old regulator than I've ever been as a consultant. It's crazy. But I got tired of not being able to fix things. You know, you go in and it's, you've got to tell people what's wrong. That's your job. But you can't then tell them what to do. Because if you've told them what to do and the regulator says it, well, it's got to be right. So you always had that sort of leading someone to a problem and not a solution. And that I realized after, you know, after a year of just a fantastic time learning, I was like, that's not going to be for me. So consulting wise, actually applied for Accenture, got into the grad scheme, but a long, long, you know, they, they hire people for a year in advance. So that, that wasn't for me. And Baringa was actually a chance conversation. A family friend worked at the time for the Barclay Partnership, where one of my guests, Michael's been on from. And it was just one of those chats over a beer. And he said, well, I know this firm called Baringa at the time. I, didn't have a clue who they were. And he's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're getting a reputation for themselves. They might, they don't take analysts, but I know someone there. Let me send you CV and see if they do. And a long story short, you know, they, I was number two, uh, number two analyst in FS, which was a, a great experience. Um, obviously they're phenomenally bigger now and, you know, have a, a sort of grad intake and an intern intake. But yeah, it was, it was very much by chance. And actually the interesting, and this is where I think sort of some things are just, it's interesting where fate leads you. So I remember Accenture called me, I was meant to start the September after, so call this January. And they called me and said, we got a space in March, it might have been. But my notice period at the FSA, three, three months. And I remember I went and asked the head of department, which at that time, I mean, I'm 21, he's 50, that was scary. If I could, yeah, I'm off, can I go? And he, they wouldn't release me. They were like, no, you can, you, you can leave, obviously, oh, really? but you're serving your, your three months notice. And so, which is frankly fair, that's what, they, you know, <clears throat> that's what we've contracted. Yeah. But yeah, so then it was, if I couldn't do that, you're, you're not going in, it was like another nine or, or 10 months. So... It was actually, if that had come off, it could have been a different path. But yeah, that was how I got in. It's a different way in to a lot, a lot of people, a lot of candidates we worked with over the years. And for you, what was it particularly about Baringa? Because you could have gone to a, a Deloitte or a, a, you know, an Accenture. And Baringa at the time, did that feel like a risk? I think it all felt like a risk. I mean, I knew nothing about consulting. I, st I still struggle to tell people what we do, but it didn't feel like a risk because you know, the people I met there and the, the process, it felt good. And I knew I wanted to go into consulting. I'd had someone I trusted say, these are the guys to go to. The recruitment process is great. And they are great. This isn't just an advert. And, you know, it's not all about recruitment, but it was a really good process. And there's also, mate, part of me was I wanted to get into consulting. So there was an element of naivety of they do seem good. And, you know, there was part of that. Of, I remember interviewing for some other firms at the time who I didn't get that feeling for. And I may have taken if that had been the only option, but to your point, it, it didn't feel right. So yeah, that hopefully answers the, yeah, that side of it. Absolutely. And, and for you, the sort of what were those transferable skills that you, you took out of that experience in consulting that you've, I guess, used in your entrepreneurial journey since? I think that the thing I learned particularly you know, in those early days, it's just a massive jump in terms of the standards and the, the quality that's expected and the speed of that. I remember my first two weeks, I was going home just shattered. Like my brain was frying. I was just thinking, can I, you know, if this is every day, can I do it? And I think the, I always think of things like sport. And I think in sport, it's so easy to say, well, obviously a premiership team is is better than a, a fifth division or a first division team. But I think in work, in, in business in general, we all wear the same clothes. We all go into the same places. And so that's not to say one place is better than another, but you just see these offices, they all look the same. You don't know what goes on behind 
sort of those doors. And I think that was the biggest shock for me. As I remember the first thing I got given was like, right, go and figure this out. And I just remember thinking, I've never heard of that in my life. Like, what, what do you want me to do? And it was a real learning curve, but that really set me up. And I think that ability to solve problems, to your, you know, to your direct question, you know, that ability to solve problems, dealing with people, just the speed of learning because you're with a different client every few months, you know, that is massive. And it's something I say to anyone I know who's sort of graduating or, or looking for that sort of first career move. Of, you can't go wrong with a career that gives you all of these experiences so quickly, because with anything in life, it's it's that repetition that gets you there. So actually, if you've worked in one place for three years, or you've worked with three different clients over three years, you're probably going to have more experience that way. And then the other one was just learning from people and networking. And, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to sort of some of the podcast stuff, but the power of sort of to your podcast, you know, the power of mentorship and, and learning from people and actually how by identifying the right people and learning from them, you can get so much. And it doesn't have to be a formal degree or a formal course, but just watching people who are great at what they do do it is a phenomenal learning experience. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think given that we we work with a lot of management consultants, we, we recruit for them. I get a lot of people asking about making that transition into consulting. And one of the big things that I always say is, is exactly what you've just alluded to is, is it, it is a great grounding, mm. those transferable skills that you've uh, obviously developed over time, and they really do set you up. I guess that brings me on to my next question. A lot of the people that I've interviewed with a 40 Minute Mentor, we talk about kind of the origins of the story and, and, and actually sort of them in, in younger life and what they wanted to be. Was there ever a, <laughs> a, a long-term desire to be a management consultant? Um, I, I, of course, mate. On that day when you go to school, it's like, what do you want to be? You, you say management consultant. Yeah, of course, mate. I always wanted to be a management consultant. Doesn't everyone? No. What did you actually <laughs> want to be when you were a child? I think the biggest challenge, mate, is I didn't know what a management consultant was till I was about 20. You know, I think the it's a bigger point about the industry, but there's a lot of, if you're not part of the right schools, you don't get, you know, you don't grow up in the right areas. If you're not exposed to these careers, you don't know. So I didn't, you know, I genuinely, I wouldn't know what a banker, lawyer, consultant was. I didn't know that until I went to university. And suddenly I always remember I wanted to be a lawyer because I remember they had the, the glossy brochures and they had the best gifts on the freshers fair. <laughs> and I remember they were, they were the only career where they published the salaries. So I was like, Ah, ah, that's I the can, one. <laughs> I can do that. Uh, and then I realized what law involves and thought, no, mate, I'll leave that to someone else. But I didn't know. No, I think every up and sort of, particularly those early moves, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I basically kept my options open. So I didn't want to be a doctor or a dentist. So I was like, right, well, what else is there? And then at university did a really broad degree because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And you know, I think quite a few people go into consulting because they don't know what they want to do. But no, when I was a kid, I mean... I didn't think about what I wanted to do. I thought, no, what's the next PlayStation game? No, that's that's fair enough. I think it's telling that when you decided to make the move into consulting, there were the bigger options, but then there were the entrepreneurial options, which are, you know, you went to Beringa, which is a, a truly mm. entrepreneurial business. And I think clearly you've, you've gone on to show that, you know, you are somebody that's created a business. You've actually set up two businesses. At which point in your career did you come to that realization that you could do it yourself? Sort of go out and, and go it alone and take the plunge. When, when did that come into the journey yeah and I, i'm gonna say it as well thank you to everyone who has given us questions because i know that was one of the ones that was um, yes and for those of you who have got questions in here we haven't got your names in because i didn't know if you wanted to be name checked because my linkedin profile is one thing the podcast is a complete another so if you did sorry i can do it in the intro let me know afterwards but if you didn't I hope you're happy. So when did I know? Yeah, I, I, I guess the question is, when did you come to realization that you could do it yourself? Well, I think the first thing mate, is I, I don't know if I can do it myself. So, you know, <laughs> you've been very flattering. The first business failed and the, this one um, is very young. So, but I think there's a, a few things, particularly around the, you know, the, the other side of that question is, is why did you leave consulting? And I think that's one that 
I get quite a lot because that you know there is a curiosity, and I think there was a whole mix of things that, that coincided with that, and, and rightly or wrongly. So I think one thing is I was part of that generation where social media was quite new, and and I think I got suckered a little bit by. I was in a you know, consulting is a long term career plan. You know, you can do extremely well out of it, and you know, in twenty years you you can retire. But but that's quite when you're twenty one. You know, forty seems a lifetime away, and I think it was. I was seeing all the. I was getting all these ads from Facebook of you know twenty one year old millionaires on beaches and sort of thinking, well, it's not much that those guys look different to me. So there was there was that part of me, and there was the other side of me that was just I'd gone into the city and consulting as like a I want to. Partly, it's you know you want an income and you're like this looks great and you want to prove for me it was very much part of it was proving that I could do it. It's like look how good I'm my career is I'm I'm doing great things I'm a consultant consulting sounds cool. There were two things that really stick out and they're going to sound one's going to sound absolutely stupid but it you know I say this also because I'm sure there's other people out there like this and I think so I'll start with the first and I'll go on to the second. So the first one was just I think I got obsessed with like pushing to get the next pay rise because you know when you're sort of 21 22 and this isn't to, to belittle it you know a two grand pay rise is huge to anyone but back then you're like oh two grand that's this that's that and I got I think a bit too obsessed with that and just having the trappings of success you know you could sort of consulting pays well and you can start to afford things that you didn't have before and I was like, I'll get that I'll get that and actually none of it really made me happy it's like that I've got it oh, what do I do now and part of that, you know, middle class deferred gratification, you're like, something there, something must be there, I'll, I'll go and get the next thing and the next thing. And it sounds really stupid, but I always remember we lived in a, we were very fortunate, got a lovely flat, very young, managed to get it all furnished. And I remember just thinking, like, I want one of those fancy toasters. You know the Breville ones? Yeah. Yeah, yeah fancy toasters. I told you it'd be stupid. <laughs> but I just remember sitting on the sofa and just thinking, I was probably 24, 25, and I was like got savings going into the bank. You know, I'm doing all the middle class stuff. You know, I'm saving a good amount, good amount going into my pension. I was just like, if I'm spending my life, you know, my, if my ambition is to own a Breville toaster, something's wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's it's one of those things. It's just, it's so easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? And I think, and we we talk to a lot of people at that point of their career that are just chasing the the, the salary increases and yeah. going up the the ladder and and I think I wonder how many of them actually take a step back and go actually am I happy <laughs> am I fulfilled am I doing something that you know I, I'm, am I looking further and I think that's what you clearly did you came to this real, realization and it's definitely benefited you well and mate I won't I won't pretend yeah I think the danger and one of the things that I I hope sort of my podcast gets across. Sorry, we, we've had a non-alcoholic beer and it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's gone to my head. One of the reasons I started the podcast and, and one of the things that I, I hope it shares with people is I think as a society, because everything's so fast, you, you sort of condense success to that soundbite, don't you? Like, went to uni, did a startup, made billions, sunset. And actually, life's not like that. And so I'll come, like, I'm sure we'll come on to like more around that transition because it, it moving from a structured career like consulting into anything is actually quite hard because there's so many differences and so many changes and challenges. But I just remember thinking like, that's not for me. And likewise, you know, I, I'm now at the point where I've got friends and colleagues and former colleagues where they're actually in the opposite challenge of they've stayed so long, you know, the golden handcuffs there because the money's good, but it's like, suddenly that's a big jump. And it's, for me, it was like, right, this isn't going to work. But there was so, and I was wrong, actually. I said three things. I was Sorry, two things. There were three things. So that was thing one. Thing two was actually a, a, a Baringa Christmas event. So they had Bronick Masiada, who is the CEO of Hiscox, been on the show, come and speak. And it was actually why I reached out to him for the for the interview, because of what he said. And so the, the thing he said, to paraphrase it all, was he moved from consulting into industry. That's all you need to know. And he said, 
consulting is always there. You know, you can always go back as long as you're not, like these weren't his words, but basically as long as you're not an idiot and you're not rubbish at it, you're always going to be able to go back. And there will always be a consulting firm who wants you. You know, the industry isn't going anywhere. And if you've got to a certain level in a certain type of firm, either they or one of their competitors will always take you back. So there was that safety net of it. And then the third thing, actually, and I think this is actually what it certainly held me back. And I think it holds a lot of people back. I mean, you, you tell me from the people you speak to, but the sort of thing that tipped me over the edge and was like, right, I can do this, was actually... I was on a, a car rally with four friends. I highly recommend it. It's called, I think, Wacky Rally. I'll make sure I stick it in the show notes. The goal is you've got to get from like Paris to Barcelona. It was something like that. And you could only spend 300 quid on the car. So it, fantastic. Like, great fun. But I remember, so we were driving over to Paris in a Honda C-Max, I think it was. You know, the big family people carrier that we picked up off a Hackney council estate. <laughs> Not only that, we then took it to my mate. He worked in a car company. So we took it there and we painted it. What we thought was like zebra stripe with like purple and black. I mean, it, it just, it probably looked like something, you know, a kid had drawn. And the best bit, and this was the best bit, we, we bought off Amazon some rims, like 50 quid spinners. So you can imagine us there. Anyway, we're on there. Something out of a hip hop video. Oh, right, and we had the garb, you know, we, that was the intention. With velour inside, I'll show you pictures after, mate. It was fantastic. Um, sadly, it only lasted about 100 miles. Engine blew up and, uh, you know, another story. But we're on the Eurotunnel and, we had eyed up, there was a, an Aston Martin in front and a, there was a Ferrari. And we were like, you know, because the Eurotunnel, you can sort of cruise into lanes. We're like, let's be clever, boys. Let's let's get near one of them. So we can, you know, because we we've got like a wrapper gear on. We we're like, we can get some pictures, you know, have a bit of fun. I've got a picture of me in the Ferrari, which I'll show you afterwards. Anyway, we get in, get talking to the guy in the Ferrari and sort of finding out his story because it's interesting. He's got a Ferrari. He's something, you know, there's a story. And the guy's also 35, let's say. And basically, long and short, this bloke, normal bloke, had started a business, sold a business. The thing that really stuck with me from this is, I think because I had grown up, particularly when I was at the regulator, I met loads of boards. And all of the boards sounded like I do now. It sounded like they're posh public school boys. I'm not. But I quickly was like, that is the way to be successful. So sort of, you know, develop the mannerisms, develop the accent, because you fit in, you do better wherever you are. And... I remember seeing this bloke who was just a perfectly normal bloke, had made obviously a lot of money and just seemed down to earth as well. Because I think that's the other thing. I sort of, there were times when I met sort of very senior people who were quite stiff, makes it is really unfair, but you know, quite formal. And I sort of thought, oh, you've got to be formal, you've got to be old. And this bloke just smashed all of those illusions. And that was, I guess, for me, the, the sort of last domino that then made me go, right, it's time to think about doing something. Mm -hmm. Now, actually, I did something, the something was with a friend that didn't work out and became my own thing. But that for me was the big thing and um, I appreciate it. some of those might sound really silly but I'd be interested you know does that how many of those resonate well, I guess you and some of your some of your candidates as well no, definitely not. well I'm sure there are listeners out there that a lot of that will, will resonate and I won't go into it now but one of the things that tipped me over the edge to set JBM up was meeting an entrepreneur on a train and it was just over a couple of beers and hearing about his story that made me go do you know what I've got to do this and I think sometimes you need that push yeah you? you've alluded to uh, I guess the, the risk that you've taken and here is another listener question so thank you for this can you tell us a bit more about the risk you've taken in your career and I guess particularly where you've succeeded and what you've learned from the failures wow the failures are more interesting aren't they, right? <laughs> let's start with the a, failures let's always start there well I don't know about you I always this isn't blowing my own trumpet I always used to remember the one thing I hated was when you'd go into a performance review or like a, a feedback meeting and you'd only get good feedback. So that's why I'm going to give you bad feedback. You don't learn anything from good feedback. If I tell you all my successes, your feedback is a gift. Well, only if it's bad. <laughs> if they're just telling you you're great, then you sort of like, yeah. okay, well, my view was always 
and, and you know, with hindsight, this was a wrong view, but if you're not telling me I'm bad, I should be running the company. And if I'm not running the company, something's wrong. So what is it I need to work on? Obviously, assuming I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be running the company because if there's nothing for me to work on, why aren't I running the company? So that was just my, that's a side bit. Where did I go wrong, mate? Where do you want to start? I mean, bloody hell. Where, you know, which, which one should we start well, You've with? alluded to the fact that one of your businesses failed. So why don't yeah, we start Yeah, well, I think start, you know, start before that because I figure also for a consulting podcast with a consulting audience. I mean, there's plenty of times, you know, you make mistakes with clients, you make mistakes with internal people, you push too hard on people, you, you, know, you, you stamp your feet too much about money. Did all of these? You get too drunk at client things. Did that? I mean, I don't. I don't know if we'll talk about drinking, but you know, we did that as well. I mean, the business was a was a sort of whole mix of of errors, but also things that you know is one of those, isn't it? Would you do it again? Type things. And for me, I definitely would. So there's a few. I mean, partly I started it with a friend and and went into it knowing there was a risk that if for whatever reason we didn't keep it going, you know, our friendship might might fail because of that. And, and sadly, you know. We did part ways. Now, actually, with hindsight, I think we, we're talking again and you know, get on really well now. But that obviously did massively sort of impact that friendship um, for a long time, you know, for a good few years. And actually, my my friend who it was has, has gone on to be a very successful estate agent. You know, he is a great estate agent. Actually, it was estate agency wasn't my thing. You know, I wanted to do a thing. And part of the, to your point about part of what I did wrong, well, with the business massively, I mean, firstly, being an estate agent, you know, one of the things I think for consultants, particularly, if you, when you go into consulting, you are always put across as an expert. And also, you learn how to be an expert in front of clients. And so you think you can be an expert at everything. And I certainly did. At 25, I was like, estate agents are monkeys, you know, of course, I can do this. (laughs) But that was completely wrong. You know, the market is what it is. And estate agents are very good at what they do because the market is like it is. And I was coming at it as a consultant, trying to apply consulting to a state agency, which was stupid, you know? And so that's where one of my first mistakes was thinking I could be great at a business that I've got no idea about and I've never worked in. So it's funny, I um, I was doing a bit of sort of mentoring, advising for a, a startup that was in our office and they were doing a state agency or something like it. And this was exactly what I said to them. I was like, have any of you gone to an estate agent? Mm-hmm. No, we just think they're rubbish. And I'm like, well... You know, I'm sure you get it the same with recruitment. You know, people are like, well, all you got to do is find a CV. <sighs> Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, it's not rocket science, but it also, it's, it's not as straightforward as some people think. So, well, and I think the thing. nuances with these sorts of things. Why, well, exactly. And I think the thing is, because a lot of people, we all, you know, we all went to university and you grow up with like academia being the bar. Actually, when you come out into the real world, you realize there's so many skills they don't teach you, you know, how to get on with people, how to judge people, how to understand what someone means when they don't say it and now a lot of these things you need in consulting but in in industries like yours you need them you know much more and so that was a a real problem you know a real mistake was thinking I knew an industry I knew nothing about and thinking I could be the best at it now you need you know you know this you run your own business you need to think you're good at what you do don't get me wrong but at 25 I was not going to be a good estate agent the other one was probably while I'm very glad I went out I had sort of, timing-wise, I had split with my business partner probably a week before leaving Beringa. Right. And actually, there was like a a moment where it was like, well, do I do this, you know, or do I not? And with hindsight, you know, financially and for all, all of the sort of other reasons, it probably would have been better to stay. Mm. Now, it's hard to say that because I wouldn't be where I am without that. But 
Yeah, I mean that's that's mistake number one, right? How many yeah. <laughs> how many well, more do you want? It, perhaps it would be interesting for the listeners who, who work in consulting at the moment. Were there any things in your consulting career that you look back on and go, "Oh, that was a that was something I learned from"? Oh, where to start? I think there's a few, and I think I'll start with career and I'll go into client because there's probably only one client regret, one massive client regret I've got. But the the career one is generally slow down. I think part of what led me out of consulting was just overworking myself and part of that was because consulting is brilliant in a career structure of and, and you know I think it's a fantastic career as we're saying and and for people who are doing it you know it's brilliant but it's great in terms of career structure is very simple in that you climb through the grades and now obviously it's not simple to climb through the grades but from a, a progression perspective it's very structured and what that naturally does if you're that sort of person which many consultants are like myself is okay it's two years a grade you work that out, it's 12 years to partner, let's say. But if I do a grade in 18 months, I get to partner two years earlier. So that leads you down this path of working exceptionally hard to, to do that. And I think I was listening to a podcast maybe a year or two ago with Derek Sivers. Have you heard of Derek Sivers? Yeah. He's awesome. So he, he founded a company called CD Baby, which was like the first ever online CD distribution website in the US, sold it for something like 25 or 30 million and then gave it all to charity. And basically, he is a trust. So he, he obviously makes a, a living from it. But the rest is a musical charity. Oh, wow. Coolest guy. I'll, I'll send you his books. It's awesome. But he was telling a story. And it's, it, it brings us to this. Of He used a, a metaphor of going for a cycle. So he used to say, he said, Look, I used to go for a cycle. And I'd go flat out there and back. And I'd make it in 45 minutes. And I'd be red. I'd hate it. I'd be tired. You know, you've probably done the same. You know, when you go for a, a run, you don't really hammer yourself. Well, I'm too lazy these days to go. Oh, you're talking about your boxing, your Pilates. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, you're inspiring me to go for a run. (laughs) But he was then made the point, well, the next day he went out and he was like, actually, I'm going to chill out. You know, I'm going to cycle. Don't get me wrong, but I'm going to take a bit more relaxed. And, you know, I'm sure you found the same. I know I have. If I go for a jog, like I can hammer it and I'll be, it'll be a 15 minute jog. Or I can take my foot off a little, still get a good run and it'll be 16 minutes. And that was the, you know, that was exactly the mistake here is I made certain decisions and pushed myself too hard and probably thought I had to push myself too hard to get a grade jump in 18 months. And, you know, okay, it's great because I can say to a, a recruiter like you at the time, oh, I've made it in 18 months. I'm a good candidate. But, you know, now I'm sitting slightly older. I sort of look back and I'm like, well, would you have enjoyed it more if you didn't hammer yourself? And maybe then you make you know obviously i never made you know I, I left a senior consultant but you know made the next grade at two years or two and a half years and i think that for me was a massive mistake and i think the other mistake i made and i think part of this is a maturity thing like you know 30 year old nick is very different from 25 year old nick but i'll always remember i was working with one client and they had an it program that was going absolutely pitong and i remember having breakfast with the ceo and for various reasons i won't go into I didn't tell him and he probably knew anyway, but I didn't say. And there was part of me that now it's one of the big things I do with my clients is I think there is obviously you always, if you're giving someone feedback, you always do want to be mindful of the situation and the client. But the thing I find time and time again with our clients now at Create Engage is, you know, they're hiring you for a reason and it's not to just sort of be polite to them and tell them they're great. Otherwise, they wouldn't wouldn't need you. You know, and I'm, I always look back on that. And I doubt, you know, I'm like probably like most people, I overanalyze things. I doubt that would have changed anything. I doubt I would have gone, or they would have gone, wow, you know, you've told us this is going wrong. You probably would have told me to bugger off and, you know, stick my nose in my own business. But 
is those little things. You're like, maybe that should, and that you know, that shame. I don't say say it was a mistake. You know, I I had no bearing on what was going on, but it's those little things I think stick with you. I'm sure it's the same for for everyone. But those and those are the big ones, mate. I think from consulting at least. No, that's I'm sure lots of people listening will. There'll be things there that they've been in that situation before, and I think it's part of maturing and the entrepreneurial journey. Mm. If you're in that situation now, I don't think you'd be afraid to to say what you think and 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 have have those strong opinions. And so you still do. And I think this is one thing. This was massive. You know, people often ask me, and I think it's one of the listener questions coming up. So I'll preempt it. Is you know, what do you get from the podcast? What are the things that have stuck with you? And I always remember. Tim Smeaton over at Kubrick. And so I was there with Tim and Simon and they're awesome entrepreneurs. They've done amazing things. And actually, I was like, these guys must know everything. And I remember his sort of point was, well, even though you know the mistakes, you still keep making them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that for me was like a real light bulb moment because I think one of the things about you know in consulting is I, because I was trying to climb so fast, I must get everything perfect. And it's like, you'd beat yourself up if you didn't. And actually, you'd not perfect and you're everyone makes mistakes and like i'm sure we'll i'll keep making mistakes and other people will and and i think that's the big thing so you're right you know i now with our clients i'm much more comfortable delivering that sort of you know in, in consulting terms difficult message but that's you know. that's part of the appeal right I, I guess if there was a criticism of consultancies often people feel like they're telling you a certain message and 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 i think that we find with some of the best consultancies and 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 mm. i know from from working with you in create engage that what's great is it's a real genuine relationship where mm. you will tell us your opinions and we may disagree on certain stuff but it's a mm. uh, it's thought out it's considered and actually it's that that honesty that i think people clients particularly sort of appreciate okay i'm, I'm keen to move on no, no, to the cool. next part you know, of I'm our a, conversation you know, i'm a talker so. <laughs> i really like to get onto building businesses and i think there are lots of people listening that you want to have great advice for people that are thinking of going down that route themselves so let's talk about your latest venture create engage which is i am a you know full disclosure a client of um, oh we are and, sitting in your in, in your house with your podcast kit indeed indeed and uh, we've been uh, greatly appreciative of, of all the support you've given us so far so i'm a big fan but for our listeners where did the idea for create engage come from and how did you kind of approach launching and growing this new business so it's very kind of you to ask me i i don't want this to be the create engage show so i will keep it keep it very brief because you know it isn't the podcast and i'm sure we'll talk about where the podcast came from the podcast was always and is you know something to give people advice and the business largely came from from that and you know the idea was really from those conversations with my guests of speaking to people doing a podcast thinking well, what is a you know what is a podcast why why are you doing this how you know and, and the world has moved on so much in terms of digital and in terms of when i you know as i mean i'm now what well, i'm now 30 so i got facebook at 17 and i remember that was still that was sort of just after Facebook would be released to anyone. You remember? Do you remember when it was still university yeah, students only? Yeah. You know, so I was taking a gap year, so I wasn't allowed to be on Facebook, and <laughs> half my friends were. Kind of and, and you missed out. You know, you're so like, frustrating. Oh. And it's like MySpace. You know, and that's the I, I I didn't have MySpace, but you know that was again. I we now have younger relatives, and there is nothing that makes you feel older than um, talking about old like games consoles or old um, Bebo. Yeah. <laughs> Also, the one for me is uh, a year, uh, about two years ago, it was like a, a bit of a fun Christmas present. My wife used to play PlayStation and we we're talking, you know, when you were kids. And so I went to one of these old retro games places and bought her a PlayStation. Now, the the crazy thing is two for one, 
try and show anyone under about 18 a PlayStation. And in fact, the saddest thing I went to, have you ever been to the Museum of Childhood in Bethnal Green? No. So go, it's, it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's childhood through the ages. It's great except for the fact that there is a, a technology section where you will see an Xbox that you and I probably, you know, for sleepovers with your friends played Halo on behind a glass screen with one of those little plaques in front of, you know, like the sort of Roman Gathering coins. Dust. Exactly, yeah. exactly, mate. There's nothing that makes you feel older. And, and I'm sure, you know, people older than us would say this. Nothing makes you feel older than the thing you played with as a kid behind a glass screen. Um, but for me, it was, there's a whole few things that, that came together. But in essence, it was, I had learned a lot of this from my time in a state agency. So I'd always had a marketing sort of side to me. I think I just didn't know it was called marketing because in consulting, at least sort of way back when, it, marketing wasn't something consultants did. Consultants did BD and there was a marketing team. So if you wanted to be a consulting person, you didn't do marketing, you did BD. So I, I saw it as BD and I, I, I enjoyed doing that. You know, I enjoyed meeting people, I enjoyed running events, but all of it's marketing. You know, it's all just getting someone in the marketing funnel and, and building that relationship to a sale. And I sort of, I'd done that in my consulting time. I then had, with the estate agency, my eyes had just been blown wide open because suddenly I was marketing to you know, Joe Public and getting leads. You know, I always remember the first lead I got from my estate agency. And I was like, this is crazy. Some some woman I don't know has emailed me for a meeting while I'm watching a film on my sofa. Like, what is going on, on with the world? This is crazy. And But that also showed me, I was like, I've just come from this industry where so many bright people work and they are bright. And, and you know, consultants are some of the, the best people at what they do you'll meet. But no one knew what a Facebook ad was. Mm. And I was like, oh, why are we not doing this? So that was always in the back of my mind. And then through launching the podcast, growing the podcast and and just trying things, you know, trying launching a podcast, growing a following, growing an audience, going out to, to guests. I was sort of all the time building that knowledge and understanding. I was like, well, this can help with this. I'm seeing it, you know, because starting the podcast as well was, was a great sandbox. You know, it was like running your own business, but if it doesn't go wrong, no one cares because it doesn't cost a lot to do. And if it doesn't work, you know, all you do is pack up the kit. And that was my thinking at the time. And so long, you know, I'm sure we come back to the podcast, but I, the business was very much, I'd spoken to enough people. And I think to that point, you know, you made around mistakes. One of the problems I'd had at the estate agency was I thought I had a great idea. And anyone who thought it was a bad idea was just an idiot. And that was, <laughs> you know, that, that was my starting point is logically it works. And this is the thing I now, and I, I don't know, you know, if you, you probably come across this as well, you're, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. So the thing I always try and challenge entrepreneurs with is, is your idea good? And I remember, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, actually, it was, I met Dom sort of way back through a mutual- Dom Morehouse. Dom Morehouse, yeah. So guest number two as well. And I remember telling him the idea and, at the, and Dom was very much, this is a rubbish idea. It's not going to work for these reasons. And at the time I was like, nope, he failed the idiot test. He doesn't think it's a good idea. And just plowed on. That's not sort of to focus on Dom, but it's to say, Anyone who said it was a bad idea, for me, was an idiot. It wasn't. And, and with hindsight, no, Don was completely right. And the difference here, I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not just going to plow into something because I think it's right. And, you know, I think the world to that point around this social media, I think where the world's gone, you hear a lot of stories about entrepreneurs who just created a thing and then made billions of pounds. And actually, when you dig into a lot of these super successful tech entrepreneurs, and, you know, I'm, I'm treading into a space I know less about. I know you, know you deal with these guys day in, day out, so you know them much better. But... Most of the ones who you see having a massive success have got a huge backstory. You know, they, you can probably count on one hand those who have come into it and just flown. You know, it literally is one hand. But I think all of the stories in the media are presented like that. And actually, so that for me was a massive learning of 
right, well, I've, I've failed there. This is what I've learned. How do I change that? And so the idea came from the need because I think the, th- the biggest thing I've seen with Create Engage is, and it's still early days, right? You know, the business has only been going eight months, maybe, maybe nine months, is starting with that need. So the idea came from speaking to people like you, where I was like, well, Mitty, you know, and for those who don't know, we met through my podcast, you know, so speaking to people like you where I'm talking going, well, I can help you set up a podcast and you, you will have to pay me for it. And you going, yeah, that, that sounds like a sensible thing. You know, if I'd come to speak to you and, and speak to a number of other people and they gone, I'm not paying you to do that. Well, I would have gone back to the drawing board, but there was, for me, it was that. And then the big difference between that and the estate agency was, was equally starting small. So, so my view was, I'll, instead of going and again, big mistake with the estate agency. And again, a big mistake I tell people not to do now with their own business or, or even, you know, if you're building a consulting practice or, or just a consulting offering, investing tons of cash upfront in like a new website, a new brand before you know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It's a common mistake. <laughs> yeah. And that for me, so I was like, right, let's do this really lean. Let's do it really simple. Let's put a lot of thought into it. Don't get me wrong. You know, a ton of thought has gone into the Create Engage proposition, into the services we offer and how we help our clients. And there is a genuine need there. And we are serving that in a way that helps our clients. And also that's evolved, you know, where the business was when I talked to you even six, seven months ago, even eight, it's probably, yeah, yeah, yeah it's probably near right. Time flies, mate. <laughs> the business is, is a completely different business now. Now we still do quite a few of the same things, but just the way we work with our clients, the structure we put around it, because it all helps our clients. You know, if we have clear processes and a, and a roadmap for where they're going to go, because our clients are consultants, you know, so I, to an extent, know how consultants think because I've been there. Which is very reassuring for consulting clients. So it makes a lot of sense. Well, and that's the other thing, right, is I love to And think- you weren't an estate agent, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's, it's a serious point, you know, that that other thing of you really need to respect when I said it earlier and I, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it came across, but it was not never to say a state agency is an easy industry because it's not. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is they think I can see an industry from the outside and go on the inside. And so many industries are different on the inside than they are on the outside. Yeah. And you know, you must have the same with recruitment. Yeah, definitely. And I think you alluded to the, those tech entrepreneurs, the few that, that, that create those businesses. But one thing that you've, I think, got in common with them, not to say we're quite there yet in terms of creating a unicorn. <laughs> well, mate, I'm making more profit than most unicorns. Well, that's I'm, true. I don't know if that's, <laughs> that's controversial. That's another conversation. But... <laughs> well, this is the thing. I think all of those people, they were solving a genuine problem that needed to be solved and they went for it. But also they had some, predominantly, they had some sort of backstory. Yeah. They got the industry. They knew that it was the right time to go for it. And then they backed themselves and they had the resilience and all the other qualities you need to become, you know, Bill Gates or whatever. But but that's 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 very important. And it kind of brings me on to sort of my next question around that you saw the gap in the market, you went for it. How do you feel that, I guess, the digital marketing landscape for consulting has changed? Because clearly you spotted something that needed disrupting. Sort of, and, and I guess since you set up the podcast, I guess over the last... 12 months things will be evolving all the time given social media and so, so it'd be good to hear your uh, oh, thoughts on that yeah and i my danger here is i don't i yeah i've got no oracle and i'm no <laughs> gary v you know we've we've my podcast has a i get about 700 listeners an episode we've got a lot less but we've got people who are caring enough to listen to us now which i still find quite amazing and i think you know what we are doing here is one of the biggest changes so the thing that led me to realize there is a world out there that most consulting firms aren't exploiting is twofold. One, our industry is massively fracturing. So 
over the last 10, 20 years, you know, I go, well, actually, let's say as long as I've been in the industry, because that's all I can speak to, you know, the last seven or eight years, when I joined, there were probably the big four and maybe five sort of boutiques. And, and you know, you'll tell me this is nonsense, but, and then like a, a few tiny firms, but there was not what there is now, which I think is a much bigger, serious middle layer of firms. And so the fracturing industry is one thing. And all of these firms who have started because they are great at what they do and they've got great networks, they build a great business. And the thing in consulting is you don't need a huge client pool to have a huge business. You know, if you think, if you can get a client that's a million pounds over a year, you know, it's not inconceivable for, for many projects. 10 clients makes you a 10 million pound business. And, you know, to your point around unicorns, most unicorns are losing 50 to 500 million pounds a year. So you're, you're doing all right. So that was the one side is, is the industry was there. And actually these firms who were growing have grown and are continuing to grow, but realize that they need to do something different. The other side was actually having done it as an estate agent and spent, for me at the time, a ton of cash. But, you know, for most consulting firms, barely any cash. You know, I I think at the time, I remember putting like £2,000 on Facebook ads and being like, well, gosh, this is, this is most of my money. And actually, you know, for most consulting firms, that's half a table at the rugby or two tickets. You know, it depends where you go, which game at uh, sort of at Twickenham you go to. And so that for me was a massive disconnect. I was like, well, hang on, you're spending this on rugby or you're spending this on a conference. You know, you know conferences are like 15,000 pounds. And I was like, well, we can do this. And this was where I think with the podcast, you know, I knew I'd spend, call it a grand on kit, tops. And I was doing all of this and doing it really low cost because I was doing some of the editing myself, some of the, the design myself, but keeping it really lean. And it's worth saying, you know, much as you know, you've sort of seen the inside of what we do. There's a lot more to it. And if you're doing a corporate podcast, let's say, I wouldn't wing it. I've seen people wing it. It doesn't work. You know, either do it properly internally or get someone else to do it. And that's not just a sales pitch. You know, don't come to me, go somewhere else, but do it properly. But if you're doing this on your own and you're listening to this and you want to do a podcast, just go and do it. It's very easy. You know, you can do it with an iPhone. I mean, we've got what your backup recorder here is sort of, what's that, 70 quid? Yeah. That will do you as a, as a microphone. So for all of those reasons, I was like, the cost of this stuff's massively coming down and the the need for it's massively going up. So actually... In terms of where the digital marketing world's changed, well, the platforms haven't changed hugely, although they have, and I'll come on to that, but actually just the cost of execution and the efficiency. So if you are, even three years ago, LinkedIn wasn't really a platform. It was a CV repository. You know, mm -hmm. People like yourself would go there to, to tap people up for jobs. Now it's a social network. And I think almost too much so. Soon, it, I, I think right now we are in the, the sort of perfect storm of LinkedIn. And in, you know, we were talking about this over dinner, weren't we? I think in two, three years, and it might be longer because the B2B world moves slightly slower than the B2C world, it might be five years. I wouldn't be surprised if there is a new player who is taking that sort of discerning professional because you're already seeing it on LinkedIn. You know, I'm sure you see them as well. You get people who just basically post cat videos. Or like, or what? yeah, there's the, I think the CTO oh, of Daily yeah, Mail. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he does it very cleverly. But, you're, you know, even so, there are videos you see because some people have worked out that silly videos get tons of likes and views so you'll see some videos that get like millions of views because someone's just fallen off a ladder or you know not in a like, bad way in like a funny way or they've tripped up you know it's, it's those sort of facebook videos and so someone's worked that out and so you see them more and more but what people forget is i mean firstly that does nothing for your profile devalues the, yeah, the proposition exactly yeah. and and yes it spikes but the, the spike moves you know i had that i don't know if we we, so we can talk about it but i had a blog all about how i stopped drinking and that went crazy. And crazy for me was like 14,000 views. And you see that spike. And you see the spike disappear. 
And the reason was, I'm not running a, an alcohol-free business. You know, people will come to you and that's amazing. But if you're not selling the thing you're telling them about, where's the benefit? You know, like the podcast, last year when I was doing many more episodes, I got a few people come to me. But now I'm doing Create Engage, I get, you know, on a regular basis, people coming to me for, for work and for conversations because of the podcast. So there's that alignment. So the big change has been, it's cheaper to do. More people are there. And so suddenly the return on investment and the business case is massively skewed in favor of digital. So you could go and have 10 coffees and that'll take you two days, or you could get create a really good bit of content and you can push that out. Now, that's what the landscape's changed. In terms of actually the, the tactics, you know, blogging can still work. White papers can still work. It's the thought that goes into them. And it's ensuring they are part of a more holistic strategy. You know, you know as well as I do the power of podcasting. And I'm sitting there thinking, in fact, I was speaking to a, a partner of a consulting firm today of, you've got a great firm, you've got so many experts and so many nice people. Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. And actually that's the, the big change. So I think the, the real shift has been the people at the head, the front of the industry. You know, you look at the likes of 11FS. Mm -hmm. They are pushing out podcasts and video content almost over their written content. For sure. And they are doing it at a frequency that no one's matching. And when you are, particularly if you're an innovation or you're a digital consultant, you're trying to promote that side of your business, yeah, it's hard to say you're a digital transformation specialist when all of your thought leadership is really bland white papers. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there are, there are also, there is evolving online in your marketing to attract more business. Mm. But another critical part for consultancies is attracting talent. Yeah, and that's yeah. another, for me, a huge part of what you're doing, which I think will help your clients totally kind of, I guess, get one up on their competitors. Because we see it, you know, the way that the young professional in consulting is evolving, they want to really understand what they're getting. They are very discerning. They will have multiple options. And actually what they want to understand is what, what is the culture like? What are the, what are the values like but not just hear the the kind of the party line they want to see it they want yeah, to believe yeah. it they want to and, and the best way you can demonstrate that is from you know creative marketing you know opening up your business and and doing innovative things like podcasts and videos and events completely right and the interesting thing as well is and, and i feel slightly torn given what you do because there's there are two parts is there's one which is you can make your recruiters lives easier and you know i'm sure i know other recruiters has you you might as well have shared interviews that i've done with prospective candidates. I like, do every time. Every time that you, you've interviewed one of our clients, I'll share that before they go for an interview. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, so for that side, instantly it puts that firm ahead. And actually, and this is where, I, I'm sorry, mate, it's, it's less for you, but if you've got a great recruitment presence and you're on social media doing it, people will see you as a firm. And actually, firstly, that makes you cool and more of a firm they want to work for. But equally, then people come to you for jobs. And so... You know, you know what the fees are in terms of recruitment. You can quickly save yourself a lot of money doing that. And now that's, you know, I say, I'm torn because I, <laughs> I want you to get all of the no, work, mate. But, no, um, no, it's it's very true. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think a lot of the very best consultancies out there get a lot of direct applications. They get referrals from the colleagues, and mm. and and I totally agree. If you get your marketing right, it will probably make our lives a little harder. <laughs> there are other ways we can add value, though. But um, but uh, no, it, your point is completely valid. 
Great. Now, that's really fascinating. And I've seen it from having recruited into the consulting space mm. for 10 years, the evolution of marketing. It hasn't been that pronounced. You, you really have, it is a lot of the same white papers and a lot of the same old stuff. And it's really only in the last sort of 12 months we've started to see. And it, often it is new entrants disrupting and 11fs you know to give them a shout out that you know what they've done is is truly impressive and i think it gets everyone to raise their game a little bit and i know for a fact you know since since you set up create engage there's definitely a lot of people you know interested in in changing this up and it comes from the top but i think also you know these the, the best companies out there are listening to their staff and listening to their young employees that are coming through the ranks about what they want to see and the sort of business they want to be a part of so yeah i think oh, that's it's, it's an exciting right. time well and it's completely right and i think it's worth you know the thing that's also worth saying is is the white papers still work if you put the thought into them and i think that's the struggle you know we've worked with clients to create white papers and they've been very good and they've won business for them but i always call what we do with clients ebooks and the simple reason being i always think of white paper as what i see in the industry where it doesn't talk to anyone it doesn't help anyone it's just to look at us because we're clever whereas the reason i say ebook is really just to distinguish it but by giving value in content, you will get rewarded. And that's that's whichever medium you do. But you're spot on. You know, the evolution of the likes of 11FS are raising people's games. You know, what I hope we're doing with our clients is we're helping them improve their marketing. So their competitors will be looking and going, well, they're winning work because of all this stuff. They're doing this. Where are we? And you're right. The Where I think it's interesting, that point you make around the last 10 years haven't moved, I think we're in a seismic shift for the next three to five years. And, you know, nothing, just like the technology we've got here, the fact your phone, you can shoot in 4K on this. Mm. You know, that you used to need a, a sort of £5,000 film crew to do what you can now do on your phone in your, in your study, in your office. And, and that's where we're going to see this shift. So it's, you know, obviously I would say this, I'm selling it, but yeah. I think there's people have got away with it up to now. And I think we're only going to see that difference get more pronounced, like you say. Totally. We've got another listener question here. Oh, very good. <laughs> um, and it's it's very much linked to that. I guess linked to the return on investment if you get your marketing right as a consultancy. So we can look at this from a consulting angle, but also from your own. Okay. So how do you get clients initially? So for, for Create Engage. Yeah. Especially if you've been working for a company and may not have broadly networked sort of individually. So interested in your take from a yeah, create yeah. engage perspective but also perhaps for any consultancies out there thinking about their bd strategy yeah so well, well let me take the the consulting side first and fundamentally i think if, if you haven't got a network the first thing i say is go and get one and that's not going to help i'm sure the person who asked this is like, that's not the bloody answer Nick. <laughs> i want to know the right app and i'll come on to that because you you know i would say i've not added it up but i think one of our only one of our clients has come through my network i think everyone else including yourself have come through digital marketing and i include the podcast there so you and i did not know each other before we started the podcast you know you had no in and this isn't to put you down you probably had no interest in who i was you didn't know who i was but because of the podcast that got you interested in what i was doing we had a conversation and you know become great friends off the back of it but the reason to highlight that is I would say probably three clients fit into that space. An equal percentage have come from our digital marketing. So I'll come on to that because you know, if I just sat here and said all of our clients are my network, sort of, you know, it's on shaky ground selling digital marketing. But the great thing for me is they are not. Fundamentally, our biggest clients have come straight through digital marketing and we did not know them. Just signed some of our biggest contracts last month 
we did not know the firms, you know, so that side works. It works. The, it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got that. To the network piece, though, I think, you know, you know this, and you're, I always say to you, mate, you're, you are a much, much better networker than I am, is go and build one. I think the, again, it's that point, isn't it, around putting entrepreneurs on a pedestal. So many people look at people with great networks and think they just appeared on earth with this, like, network of a, a thousand people they know. And, and that's just a complete myth. You know, I came into the, the city, for want of a better word, knowing... Our family friend who worked at the FSA. And, you know, I was lucky. She worked there. She told me about the job. It was a complete normal graduate scheme. There was no, like, favours. None of these things have been, like, sort of, oh, jobs for the boys type stuff. That was the only person I knew. And then it was just a case of getting to know people. And, and you know, you're the same. I think people, you go into a graduate job and you're told about networking and, you know, building rapport don't do any of that rubbish. Go and meet some people. And if you get on and you think they're interesting, keep meeting them. And exactly to that, you know, if you haven't got a network, before you even go out, go and meet some people. Totally. And, and ask questions. I mean, yeah. it's about being intellectually curious and, and looking to add some value or just learn. And I think you'll find it's amazing how many people just are afraid to ask questions or just put themselves out there. And I think, you, yeah, you really see a difference once you start sort of switching that mindset. Oh, exactly. And you know, like you know, it's that it's that network. It's called a network effect for a reason. You know, the the five degrees of separation. I mean, we could get to anyone we want in five people, and it's true. And I'm not going to do it here, but I'm sure we could. And that's how it works. You know, you meet someone who knows someone, and because you're doing something, they, you know, you say, "Let's have a chat." And so that would be the first thing is if you're looking to go and do a business. And again, I'm, I'm giving all of this advice with the couch that I've been doing Create Engage for like eight months. I'm not an uber successful entrepreneur. You know, I'm not sort of Elon Musk or Don Morehouse or James Mitra here, you know, I go and meet people because you're always going to do better with more, not less. I think then the other side in terms of if you've not got a client base or a network, and this comes to the marketing is you need to know who you're selling to. So if you are going to go out cold and never do it off the bat, always do it while you're still working, you know, there's Gary Vaynerchuk, by the way, if you're not following him, follow him. And his great advice is just, you know, you need to do stuff on the side and you do. And so start small, start on the side, but spend time really focusing on who you're selling to. It's the number one thing we work with all of our clients on is who are you selling your product to? Because if you don't know that, you can't build a product and message uh, around it that anyone cares about. And always, when you're doing that, focus on a niche. You know, you have built a really successful business on a niche. I'm building a business on a niche. Anytime you broaden that out and think, and I get it, you know, I did it with the estate agency. We were a whole London estate agency because I said, there's 8 million people in London. I need 50 of them. It's easier to get 50 out of 8 million than it is out of 100,000. It's wrong. You're much more likely to be the go-to person for that tiny group than you are a bland noise in 8 million. And it's the same with any business. So that's the, if you were going out solo, go and get a network. But in the meantime, get really hot on who you're selling to, why they care about your product and how it helps them. I think so many people start a business the other way. I did, you know, I didn't care about a state agency. I wanted to make money. And so I figured what's the easiest route to that? Mm. By starting Create Engage the other way around and saying, where is, you know, like you said, product market fit, where is there a real market need? How can I give a product that does that? I think it's a, I think it's a Jim Rohn quote of give people, you know, the quickest way to get what you want is help others get what they want. Mm. I might have butchered that, but 
that is the fundamental. So there you go. Help others get what they want and you know, you will be successful. Yeah, no, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I th- it brings me on to another listener question, actually. It's slightly more specific, but, it, but it, it plays into this. So if someone's been made redundant and they want to build a consulting business off the back of it, but they don't have the cash flow, what sort of three-piece advice would you give them to kind of get started? I guess, you know, quite a challenging situation. I wouldn't want to be in it. But I, I was going to say, I feel... I'd, I feel at risk of being answering questions I have no qualification <laughs> to. You know, I, I run a podcast. I don't. You know, that that is but perhaps from your experience of interviewing some of the best leaders in the. the I, I like the phrase. Well, well, actually, mate, I'll give it from my own scenario, which was, I was staring at my bank account, having run my estate agency business, thinking, how am I going to pay our rent next month? And the simple answer to you know to the question is, go and find the quickest income you can as quickly as possible. So, if you are in that position. Don't go and build a consulting business. Go contracting, you know. Or if you have a friend in a consulting firm, go and do that. You know, it's that is the simplest answer I'd give is just go contract. But obviously, that assumes you know. I was very fortunate. There was can't remember. I think it was actually yeah. I to networks. I dropped a speculative email to someone I knew who said, "Oh, I know someone in our firm who might need a contractor," and it was like yes. And that was a actually no sorry that wasn't it that's a lie I don't want to lie actually that was the the second one the first one was I was very lucky a friend of mine who runs a consulting firm I sort of reached out to him was like actually I've got a I've got a bit of a problem do you have anything and at the time they were like well we got this thing that's quite low paid you know we don't know how long it'll last but do you want to come in and you know amazing and and they were fantastic about it and without that I don't know what I would have done. And that was brilliant. So that that's the thing, though, is leveraging the network, leveraging the network. But frankly, don't go and start to. You know, there's not three bits of advice. There's one: go and get some money because, you know, the thing that comes with having that that money and that income is the time to experiment with things. If you're there scratching around to find any job, stop trying to start a business. Well, let's say let's say someone has got through that first few months. <laughs> They've got their first client under their belt. You know, hoping to be the next big consulting firm. And this is this is the, the add-on from the listener's question. What would that person do to ensure that first year was a success? What what would be the oh, mate, again? I feel things? I feel maybe we should get you on the show. Actually, <laughs> I feel I've not been going a year, so I cannot comment on that. But I think it's going to be a really cringy, cliche answer. But I think whatever you're doing, you know, are you happy? And I think it comes back to what we talked about, you know, way back around consulting. Is I think I see people who love consulting and. I always remember there's, I'm never sure on name checking people on this, but people who know me will know who he is. There was a senior partner I worked for who I was always really jealous of because I've never seen anyone who enjoys consulting more. And, you know, they loved it. He lived for it and he loves it and he's really good at it. And actually, for me, that's the perfect thing. You know, I know so many consultants, I'm sure you, know, you speak to them day in, day out, who who hate it. I always remember I was on the, because you know, you get the train, you've not done it, but you get the train back on a Thursday. I always remember, it's weird how things stick with you. There was a guy, didn't know him, different firm, sitting behind me, chewing his mate's ear off about how shit the client was and how shit the work was and how much he hated the client and how much the, the partner was a dick. And I just remember, and at the time, you know, I was in concern, I just remember thinking, what are you doing, mate? You know, and, and that's where I say, what does success look like? You're enjoying it and you're happy. And actually the financial side you know obviously if you've got certain aspirations and ambitions if you're not achieving those that will make you unhappy but start there you know if you've started a consulting firm and you hate it 
go and do something else. You know, and again, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you tell people this. I don't think being an entrepreneur, I don't, personally, I don't like the term. I'm not some special human being. Like I'm just a bloke who does something slightly different to someone else. I don't think it's for everyone. It's just mm-hmm. like saying, you know, it's consulting is not for everyone. Yeah, I think a lot of people pretend like you have to do these things and it's it's a badge yeah. of honor, but it actually really isn't for everyone. Well, that's, and it's the same with consulting. You know, I, I tell, as I said, every sort of young person I know, I don't know that many, but if someone asks, consulting is an amazing career for as long as you want it to be. And the trick is to know where on that roller coaster you are going to get off. You know, are you, roller coaster is a terrible metaphor, you can't get off, bus, bus is a much better metaphor. You know, can you get off the bus? Do you want to get off the bus at manager, senior manager, director, partner? The people who struggle and, you know, I, I was there to an extent for the time sort of before I left. I think if you're doing it and you're unhappy and you don't enjoy it, what are you doing? You know, my, um, I won't name her because she hasn't approved her episode, but I recorded an episode with a fantastic um, female partner of a consulting firm who shared a bit of advice that she was given by a senior partner, so it's secondhand. But, you know, she said, what's being a partner like? And the partner said, well, it's sort of like winning a burger eating contest, but the prize is more burgers. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I sort of, and, and that really put it into perspective for me because I think it's very easy to look up at the partners and go, you know, whatever your firm is and go, these guys or girls have got something, you know, you get there and it's like, you know, it's like this sort of film, isn't it? The gates open, it's like Garden of Eden on the other side. And actually, it's, I'm, you know, there's perks, but it's, it's the same job. It's a different flavor. And that was the point. I was like, you know, for happiness, if you're eating burgers and you don't want to eat another year of burgers, go and change your thing. Yeah, indeed. No, great advice. Great I feel advice. like with all these listener questions, I'm just dodging them. Again. I'm not answering <laughs> that. Do this. No, but. no, no. I think that I think that's good advice. And I think to some of the other things you talked about, knowing your niche, finding your gap in the market, truly having a clear mission and vision. You know, if you're selling the sort of work that you're passionate about, you know, you're likely to have a successful year if you put in the time and, and hire, create, engage to do your marketing. That's no, the no, no. Well, <laughs> and the thing is, right, and I, you know, I, I say this in in sort of sales meetings as well. You do not need to hire us. You know, don't. This is not, nor should it be a sales pitch for us. You can do everything we do with you and have done with you yourselves. But if you want to get there much faster or you want to avoid all the mistakes or you simply don't want to do it, that's where we help. It's just like a consulting firm. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, we've, um, we've touched a bit about Create Engage and obviously we have alluded to the fact that we we met through this podcast. We, we did, yeah. And it's been going for almost two years. So congratulations it's, on that. It's weird, isn't it? It's um, crazy. No, it's, it's, it, it, it's an amazing achievement. Um, so let's talk a bit about the, the learnings from that. I've been an avid listener. Why did you set it up in the first place? And what advice would you have for anyone listening and are having listened to your podcast and then reached out to you about setting up a podcast? Um, I'm sure there are lots of other people who feel similar. So talk us through that and, and what advice you'd give to people in that situation. Well, it, advice to people setting their own... Their yeah. Yeah, looking to, yeah, yeah, well, definitely. So, um, actually, a listener of mine, I will shout out because she won't mind. Peter Killian, who has asked questions, is a very keen listener, massive supporter. So, thank you, Peter. And um, she is launching her own podcast. I hope that's allowed to be said. I don't think this will be the live one. We haven't got all that many viewers, so I don't, I'm, don't worry too much right now. But I think her podcast, if it's not gone out, will have after this. So, Brilliant. Peter. I will put a link in the show if it has. But that's just to show listeners do reach out and, you know, where I can, I help people. So the podcast came from me. You know, we talked about sort of that that marketing side. And I think I went into contracting and and it was a great career for what I wanted at the time. It, for me, wasn't a long-term option. And I share, you know, openly with people. I've done an episode about it and the, the pluses and minuses. And I think you, it's not all pluses. You know, people see the money of contracting. are like, of course, it's a brilliant career. There's downsides. And for me, 
it wasn't going to give me the what I wanted. You know, there's no career growth. You are a day rate contractor. You don't promote. And so I wanted to do something different. And the podcast, I was like, well, I love podcasts. I'm curious and I want to figure out how to do it as just a more of a sort of interested perspective. And frankly, worst case, you know, worst case, I get to speak to some amazing people. And the big thing I was missing actually in, in contracting at the time was I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any guides, you know, and I, you know, we've talked a lot about mentorship before and actually I wanted that. So rather selfishly, my thought process was and a bit to that Jim Rohn quote of, well, if I, you know, I'm putting out interviews from really experienced people in our industry so I'm helping them. I'm helping the listeners. And heck, I get to have a two-hour conversation with, you know, the likes of, and at the time, you know, my first guest, Matt Chung, Don Morehouse, Adrian Betteridge, Mines Jobamputra. You know, these people, I was like, you do amazing things. I'd love to learn from you. And I get two hours of your time to, within reason, ask you whatever I want. There's no downside. So that was the sort of thought process behind it. And it really grew from there. You know, I, I thought no one will listen and, and we'll shut it and, you know, I've had a few good conversations and actually very quickly people were listening and I don't pretend it's sort of life changing and, and well, it has changed my life. You know, I'm no Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan. I'm never going to retire off it. I don't, don't make any money. Sponsorship is available if you'd like, but just the massive networking benefits and what it's led to, you know, I don't make any money off the podcast, but I have made quite a bit of money off pod, the things that have come from the podcast through the business. So that's the first thing, right? Is, you know, for anyone, that was why I did it. And for anyone thinking of doing it, go and do it. You know, I was speaking to a friend of mine who he loves songwriting, you know, really niche, but niche is good. You know, the, the thing with the world now is 10 years ago, media was mass media. So you had to be mass media. You know, it had to be bland. It had to be big. Everyone had to like it. Now there are communities for everything. Completely. You know, we're in here. There's communities for interior design. There's communities for niche sports, you know, ultimate Frisbee. I don't want to offend anyone. I, mean, I, I don't know if people still very play impressive. it. very impressive. Have you ever tried it? No, I've seen people do it. It's, it's, it's yeah, a lot more, uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of exertion goes on. I see some incredible catches on the it, internet. It's one of those sports that I, I remember at university, sort of, because it had ultimate and you thought it sounded a bit silly. And actually you try <laughs> And it's intense. It's just, it's like shuttle runs, right? It's shuttle runs with a Frisbee. But, they, you know, the point was more, there's, there's communities for all of these things. And so a friend of mine was like, I, I like songwriting. I might start a podcast. And it's a no-brainer. You know, if you want to get into any industry, to that person who said, how do I get a network? Because you will instantly meet all of the biggest players in your industry. Because who doesn't want to get interviewed? And your network instantly grows. You know, I, I can't even remember who it was, but it was in one of these. So I'm a big reader as you probably know and it was one of these sort of ancient self-help books it might have been how to win friends and influence people it might have been magic of thinking big but they're like 100 years old and they were talking about some violin player who's who was famous come his name and all he did was write letters to famous violin players and say i like your stuff can i have a chat and that was it and actually that is exactly what a podcast is so if you want to learn about one of your industries whatever your industry is or whatever your hobby is and it doesn't have to be work related Go and interview people. So that's the, you know, the yes, do it. And in terms of how, I guess it comes back to the marketing thing a little bit, mate, is figure out who you want to speak to. Why, you know, like, like some of the things we talked about with 40 Minute Mentor, why are you doing a podcast? Because a podcast that's just stuff about stuff is never going to be interesting. But a podcast that's got a niche and a purpose and a goal and an audience that buy into that is powerful. And like I say, that doesn't have to be an audience about consulting or about entrepreneurship or mentorship. But an audience about Ultimate Frisbee. I don't know if there's not. Is there a... Uh, well, we'll, 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 we'll look, look, we'll look, look after this, yeah. right? I don't know if there is an Ultimate Frisbee podcast. It's, um, you know, one of our clients, we, we helped them launch the first podcast for the water industry. 
Oh, wow. And water industry people like to hear about other water industry people. You know, would you go and listen to it? I, I don't know, but that's not the point. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? No, definitely. And I think we've we've found from launching it, you know, it's a real point of difference. And to your point, you know, from a networking standpoint, it's incredible. But just from a learning, you know, yeah. the opportunity to talk to super smart people about interesting things that you share uh, an interest in is, is a unique thing to do. So yeah, I, I concur. Uh, anyone that's thinking about doing it, go for it. And to that point, you've had a lot of fantastic conversations with some amazing people. I've listened to the vast majority of, of climate consulting podcasts. But are there any, it's going to be a difficult question for you, because I know you don't have favourites, but <laughs> what are the kind of three top pieces of advice or wisdom uh, that have come from those interviews? And this is another listener question. Oh, well, we should so thank have you a bell, this. shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. the, the listener bell. I've got an empty beer can. And you're right. You know, the, the first thing to say is, is anything I'm about to say is not saying that there are guests better than others. And actually, people when I say that, people think it's such a politician's answer. <laughs> but ultimately, guests that I really related with will be because of my story. And there are guests who actually, you know, there's guests I say, I love that interview. And some of my listeners say, I wasn't that fussed about that, actually. You know, they, they didn't sort of press my buttons. And and so that's the first caveat. But there's a few, so the few things, I guess, what did you say? Two, three, some? Let's go for three little pieces of wisdom. Three, three pieces of wisdom. That's a lot of wisdom. Listen to the whole show. So I think in terms of, if I think the ones that have the real light bulb moments for me, and this is three, there were more, but just the things that I guess have had a tangible impact in terms of changing my actual behavior. First one, Don Morehouse, whoever has the most stories wins. Yeah. yeah I went and climbed um, Mount Snowden last year. And I know, you know it's Mount Snowden, it's not huge, but we went four hours to Wales, climb Mount Snowden, because I was like, I need more stories. Let's go get a story. And it was great, you know, and there's the go and do it. There's then the awesome little trampoline park under the mountain. Really cool. That was directly because I was listening to Dom and I was like, yeah, I don't think I've got many stories lined up. Yeah, and I've met Dom and, and I, I remember him saying that and I've used that almost every month of the year to telling people and uh, <laughs> do my best to try and create stories too. So that's a very good one. Well, and it's, it's a great piece of advice because so often, you know, to our point around slipping into that sort of lifestyle, you can slip into a lifestyle of, of holidays and there's nothing, I love holidays, but you go on the same holiday and you sit by a pool and actually... You know, why not go do something more adventurous? I still, last year I wanted, there was a company doing a, an ice rally across Mongolia. I couldn't get anyone to sign up. If you're up for it, and they'll do similar next year. I'm not going to hold you to it, mate. But um, so so that was the first. I think the second, and it's a bit of a cop-out because I, I I don't think he actually said it on the podcast, but I'll take it, is Bronick's advice of consulting will will still be there because that was, you know, that that was game-changing, led led me to the interview and actually go you know, go back and listen to the whole thing. Just, there's There's so much in there. And it was then that piece that I mentioned before around Tim Smeaton is, you know, that for me was a light bulb because I think, and just, you know, just, just as a refresher, that sort of, I know what I meant to do and I still make the same mistake. I think so often we sort of think you should, you should learn and out, you know, always improve. And I think the great thing about where we are now is technology is helping us and we are improving and there's a big focus on personal improvement. But I think that comes with that fear of, you know, if I've not done my 10,000 steps, I'm a failure. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. And, and I certainly had that. And in consulting, you know, I think the the big thing, and you, I didn't mention it with consulting, but I should because it's a massive thing and, and hopefully helps other young people. I wouldn't say I'm young, young anymore, but I think when I was a consultant, I was always focused on making sure everyone liked me and I always came across in the best way. And so I always internalized, if someone was being a bit of an idiot or was being off with me, it was me. You know, I wasn't approaching them right. Now I've realized, no, some people are, some people either you just don't get on with, or some people have bad days, you know, and actually you don't know 
what's going on in someone's home life. You know, you don't know if they had an argument with their their partner or if they broke down that morning, whatever it is. And actually, it took me a long time to learn that. And that, to me, really feeds into that point of you're still going to make some mistakes and some people still aren't going to like you. But are you going to spend all of your time worrying about your mistakes? You know, I'm sure someone will listen back to this podcast and be like, oh, I wish I'd said that. I didn't give the right answer. You know, I didn't wear the right clothes. You know, there's you can spend so long focusing on what went wrong. And that for me was a real learning curve because I think I always thought, you know, that was just something people did. So when Tim sat there, you know, hugely impressive entrepreneur, really admiring what him and him and Simon are building, I was like, well, if this bloke still messes up, I should probably give myself some more credit. You know, again, it, it's what I was saying about when I first started in the the city, I sort of, I saw everyone. And again, because it's like 20, 30 years older than me, I was like, these guys are so impressive. I could never be here. I've got to be perfect. And you actually realize, look, everyone, everyone messes up. Even the guys at the the top mess totally, up. Totally, yeah. You know, and, and they we all do it on a daily basis. And actually, I think that holds a lot of people back for in all walks of life. You know, you can make mistakes mm. and it doesn't matter. You know, it's like when you're 16, you think whatever you're doing is going to be the, the biggest or the end of, you know, you have a bad whatever. And it's like, it's the end of the world. Yeah, totally. And it's a bit like the imposter syndrome. I think it's, it's very similar. There are probably a lot of people listening and yourself and myself have your days when you just feel like, you know, you know, someone asks you your advice or something you don't feel qualified to, yeah. to, to give a bit like tonight. And, but you do because you've got great, incredible experience and often, you know, we suffer from that, but I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's, that's really good. So everyone should go back and listen to those, uh, those podcasts. <laughs> well, and, 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 and that's where I say, listen to them all. Um, but yeah. no, you know, I'm not, that's, people like different guests, people like different people, people like listening to men, women, people from big firms, small firms. And, you know, much like you do, I think with your, your podcast really well. And, and it's worth saying as well, you know, this isn't a, a sort of secret ad for Create Engage. While we do guide you on some things, you pick your guests. And so one of the things I think you've done really well is got a, a breadth of guest and, I think for a podcast of any series, that's the really important thing is having that range. And so, yeah, that's where I say, listen to me. Obviously, go back and listen to all of them. But those are my, if someone was going to put me on a right on the spot as you just did right now, those are my those are my three okay. pearls. And I'm going to give you one more on the spot quick question. For those that are either novices and haven't really listened to many podcasts before or the those that are avid listeners, what are the kind of three that aren't your own that you love and that you don't need to say 40 minute mentor um, <laughs> but but who are the the people that run podcasts that inspire you and have played well, a- of course the 40 minute mentor right? that was what that was Naturally. really what, yeah that was, three three others though. yeah <laughs> so i'm going to i'm probably going to shatter a lot of illusions so i i do listen to a lot of podcasts but i i am very focused on a few so the big one i grew up with was the tim ferris show so i'm a big big tim ferris fan i didn't mention sorry i i my origin story, that was the other big thing. I read The 4-Hour Workweek. And if you've not read The 4-Hour Workweek, go read it and just, it will blow your mind. Stop after about the first half because a lot of the things Tim talks about in terms of software and platforms are 10 years out of date. Half of them don't exist anymore. But as he says, why he hasn't done an updated one is the points he makes are so good. So go and listen to that. So I listened to Tim Ferriss' podcast and I was like, I love that. I'm going to do my own. I listened to the Tony Robbins podcast, worth a listen to. If you want some real motivation really quickly, Gary Vaynerchuk. But equally sort of, I think uh, in Dangerous Aim podcasts are all about just learning and and education. House of Rugby is by far one of my go-to podcasts. And if, you know, like I tend to, I'm late home on a train, so tomorrow, late train back to Bath, and I don't want to listen to an entrepreneur tell me his story when I'm shattered. I'm going to go and listen to, you know, Mike Tyndall and James Haskell. And I can't say Alex Payne. I feel they will never hear this, but I feel bad leaving him out. You know, talking about rugby. 
So so those would be my my three. I think if you want to see where I got my inspiration from, Tim Ferriss. If you want to to learn and be inspired, you know, Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk. And if you want to have some fun, House of Rugby. Great stuff. Thank you. We are we're getting towards the end of our, our conversation. Well, I wanted to come back to something that you alluded to earlier. And for those that can see this podcast recording, uh, you have a San Miguel in front of you, but it's actually a 0% alcohol. It San is, Miguel. yeah. And I know that's that's been an important sort of change in your life over the last couple of years, yeah. giving up drink. I know you've, you've also moved you know, out of London. Yeah. I just want to touch upon that because I think anyone listening that will have got to know you will be interested in yeah. the whole you. And, and I think it's a, it's a really inspiring story. And you mentioned you'd written a blog about it that got a lot of, uh, you know, warm support and, and a lot of interest. So can you just tell our listeners a bit about that? Yeah, part yeah of your life? absolutely. And you're right. So the blog was written for no other reason than to help two friends who were in the same space. And, you know, I'd love to say I, I put keywords in and I did did research. No, I wrote it for two people from the heart and suddenly 14,000 people were reading it. And that, you know, you ask about, someone asked about what's changed in digital marketing. 14,000 people read a blog from some bloke they've never met because they thought it resonated with them. So there is what has changed in a nutshell. So the drink was very much something I should have done a lot sooner. And the thing with alcohol is it's such an ingrained part of society. And actually... When you say I've got a problem with alcohol, everyone thinks you're like a major alcoholic. I think 90% of people have a problem with alcohol. It's just socially acceptable. You know, it's it's sort of, and it, this isn't like a society podcast, but drugs are bad. You know, if someone goes and smokes weed or, or takes cocaine, and I'm not condoning that. It's illegal. You shouldn't do it. But the point is more, that's bad. But going and getting absolutely battered on a Friday night, falling down and, you know, all of those sort of things, it, no one cares about. So that's just the, the sort of backdrop of it. But I think... I'd come from a culture where I grew up drinking a lot because I played rugby and, you know, you were probably, we talked about this on the train actually, so you probably were, you know, the, when you're a kid, you're like, adults drink, I want to drink. And then at rugby clubs, you know, people are quite, there's always beer, there's always jugs, you have a little sip here, you know, so you're drinking and you sort of, that was the culture. And actually, I I quite have a, Again, saying I have an addictive personality makes me, me sound crazy. Like I get really into things. And so I was like, drink's great. Let's drink more. You know, that's the more is better than less. But drink, it's not the case. And it was just more, you know, there's no, and I said this in the blog, there's no like backstory of like, I lost everything, was a raging alcoholic. Or there's no backstory of, you know, anything like that. It's not like a Russell Brand. It was just over time, like, yeah, I would drink too much. And I know that that had a negative impact on certain things. And I think the hardest thing is, Actually, socially, most people aren't going to turn around to you and say, you're being a knob because you drink too much because it's everyone drinks. But there's a lot of people who, like me, actually are not great drunks. You know, I wish I was one of those people. We've all got mates who are like that, who are just life and soul of the party after a few beers. You know, for me, it's either I'm not that much fun to be around or I throw up or I go to sleep. You know, none of those make for a, a good dinner companion. And it's worth saying as well, actually, because right, I'll fast forward, but I'll come back to it is, you know, I now I still don't drink. But I'll have like, if it's a celebration, I'll have a glass of champagne or, you know, very odd, very rarely I'll have a glass of whiskey because I like the flavor. It's not the alcohol I want. So I'd went through a series of his weddings, actually. I sort of, too many weddings where I'd just fallen asleep or, you know, made a fool of myself. I was like, this was sort of cool at 20. It was sort of okay at 25. I'm now like touching 30 or I was like 28 at the time. This is not cool. And so and I should have done it earlier. And, you know, that's a massive thing to anyone is if you're even thinking about giving up booze go and try it so i i remember you know how facebook ads sort of learn about your life before you tell anyone you know and i'm sure something will come out that they're like tracking our, our yeah. voice and our phones but 
I kept getting ads for this one year no beer, which is like a accountability program. So they, and it's worth saying I didn't sign up, but long story short, you sign up, they give you an accountability group, one year, no beer, transform your life, simple. And I was like, well, they said you can try three months or a year. And I was like, well, a year sounds long, so I'll try three months. And the reason for that was I've done plenty of dry Januarys. I'm sure you've done it. Dry January is not not drinking. Dry January is saving money. And it's really easy because everyone's doing it. So, so I sort of said, well, I'll do three months because you've got to do social occasions. And that's where I've always thought of myself as confident. But actually, with hindsight, I think part of drink, and I'm not alone here again, you know, we've all been to these things. Drink is seen as a way of an acceptable way of overcoming your social anxiety. We've all been to a wedding and it's really awkward until people have got a glass or two of Prosecco in them, you know, and... And so it's it's acceptable to, oh, we're nervous. Let's go and down a couple of pints. We'll have fun. That is not the right way to live. And that's not, you know, if people want to do it, that's fine. But why don't you get comfortable with that and then make the choice? So that was where the three, you know, it sounds perfectly sensible when you say it like that. And, and again, you know, I, I have no judgment on people who drink. If you want to drink, that's entirely your choice. But I was like, right, I'll do three months. And so I had three months. It was a, There was like a family holiday. There was a stag do. There was weddings. There was you know nights out with my wife nights out with friends actually the crazy thing was mate i enjoyed them more because the firstly i wasn't drunk so you know i remember it all and i had genuine conversations with people you know you're not we've all sat next to that drunk person who repeats themselves five times so instead of you sitting next you know me and another drunk person sitting there repeating ourselves or me being the drunk person you just have some sensible conversations and i remember thinking it was actually i was always only going to do it for three months and i was like at the end of this three months well, I don't want to go back. And I remember I had like three months had gone. I had like a few glasses of wine. And all that, all that happened, I felt tired. And the next morning I had a hangover. And I'm like, so all I'm doing is is feeling worse. What's going on? And that was really it, mate. And I think the, the massive benefits and why genuinely I think anyone can benefit from just a few months off is that point around anxiety and around social confidence. You know, we talked about just a minute ago how I... I sort of, you know, I'd always blame myself for things and everyone does. But when you realize everyone else is as anxious as you, you sort of get relaxed with it. And then actually, I'm not the sort of guy who needs a beer, as in sort of to, to be able to talk to people. But that obviously took a bit of time with those three months. And once I got there, I was like, well, I can go to one of these events and not have a beer. And it just means at the end of the night, I'm not the one falling asleep, throwing up. Yeah. That feels better for life. So yeah, I mean, that's... And did it from a work perspective, has it, has it helped you in the, over the last year? <sighs> Has it given you more? Because a lot of people say it gives you more energy, and I've I've felt that from the, yeah. the time that I've. I was going to say I, you, you were saying you're drinking drinking yeah, less I'm, as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying definitely. I'm I'm limiting. I can't say I'm teetotal, but um, I'm drinking less. Yeah, and that was a, a conscious health decision. And I must say, I, I feel more energized. Definitely, the, the f- less frequent hangovers are helpful, <laughs> especially when you have a three and a half year old. Well, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I we will have kids at some point, but how, how I'm I'm terrible without without sleep so i don't know how <laughs> how you deal with children but oh massively you know i think i would never say it's the direct link again like i don't think in life there's any i think we're always searching for that you know did x got y but actually yes massively mate because i don't wake up with a hangover and actually the, the thing i always remember and i'm sure 99 percent of the world do this perfectly normal is you go home on a friday and it's like oh relax gonna have four you know a couple of cans or three cans or a bottle of wine you know bottle of wine turns into two bottles of wine between like, you know, you, you and your partner, you just have a couple of bottles of wine. And then you've got a hangover and you feel crap the next day, you've had no sleep, you repeat that. And now, I think in London, particularly when I was here, and you know, I, I don't live here now, so I can't speak for it, is I think booze is a big part of the culture. And in our industry, booze is a big part of the culture. But that was another one. Actually, I, I should, I, I'm doing him a disservice because it was one of the things that led me to pause drinking 
was actually Adrian. So Adrian Betteridge from Beringa. Because another, you know, when I was younger in my career, another belief was like, well, the big guys drink, the, the partners, and they go out for dinners and drinks. So I've got to do that. You know, I've got to go for drinks and I've got to go for dinners and, and have get pissed with a client because that's what you do. And then here's a guy who's phenomenally successful, leading the biggest you know, consultancy outside the big four, growing it rapidly. And he doesn't drink. And it's not held him back. You know, he's, I don't actually know how old Adrian is, but he's young, doing very well for himself for his age, been phenomenally successful. He's never, he's never drunk. So, you know, there was that role model thing of, well, actually, if he can do it, maybe it's okay not to. And that was sort of why I wrote the blog was a couple of friends have been like, I'd love to do it, but I can't. No, you can. You don't want to, or you're not ready for that. That's fine. But hopefully this helps you share that experience. Because that, again, you know, to the podcast, by sharing experiences of all these great consulting entrepreneurs and for you entrepreneurs, I make that sound like they're different, entrepreneurs who do different things, you you realize they're all normal people. You know, they're, they're that sort of Tim Scorer as I met him. You know, they're everyone's normal. Everyone's got a different story and everyone's got a different past, but they all have similarities if you can pick those they're the, they're the key thing so so yeah I, mean, I think i don't know does that does no, that it's answer great. I think the it's, alcohol I, question i think it's really important to to share these sorts of things and um i think there are a lot of people out there that, that will either be in now or have been in the situation that you were when you made that decision and i think if i think by talking about it and getting it out in the open it becomes less of a this myth that yeah, it completely you know, it changes your life and that you know it's not for everyone but at the same time i think there are lots of people that that will hopefully learn from that and and you know appreciate you saying it so thank you for sharing not, not at all um we are sadly down to our last few questions oh, um so i know we'll we've keep, got an early start tomorrow yeah so we, we have um so we'll keep these relatively short and sweet uh, but you alluded to, to role models and given that i'm the host of a podcast called the 40 minute mentor it'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about mentorship because i'm a big believer in it and it comes in lots of different forms so who is your mentor or who are your mentors and how have they helped your career? You said keep it brief, mate. You've, <laughs> you've realized I'm a talker. Oh, uh, mentorship's massive. And, I, and I, you know, we've, we've talked about it. You run a podcast on it. I think everyone should have mentorship and that comes in all forms. You know, I know you're quite an advocate of formal, you know, among other forms, formal mentorship. You know, I've always had informal mentors, you know, I, but that, you know, ultimately learning from people who have been where you've been, where you want to get to, is the easiest thing to do. You know, I, I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but it's sort of don't ask me for advice on your career. Ask someone who you want to emulate. So massively, I mean, you know, every one of my guests has been a mentor because I've learned something from them. I always think with the, particularly with the interviews, if I learned one thing, it's been a success. And, you know, I can guarantee you everyone has exceeded that low bar of one thing. I think in terms of... You know, my consulting time, I mean, the partners at, at Beringa were a massive, you know, a massive sort of role models for me and massive mentors. And again, I'm given that I don't know if people are happy to be talked about. I'm not, but, you know, the people who are will know who they are. And so actually those people, likewise, I think you can get mentorship and guidance from people you don't know, you know, much like you do your podcast is by listening to you and your guests, people learn. And so, you know, the likes of a Tim Ferriss, his book has changed my life. And that sounds really grandiose, but actually his book changed the course. You know, likewise, Tony Robbins, you know, if you've not read either of those people's books, go and buy them. You know, they're like six quid. What are you doing? And as we found out when we went for drinks the other day, that's pretty much a pint in London, you know, pint or book. So loads. I mean, those are, those are a few. I'm trying to think who, who else? Yeah, I think that's, no, those that's are, a those short are answer. But, no, yeah. they're, no they're, that's, it's, it's really great to hear. And I know you're a big reader. 
So another another form, uh, not quite a mentorship, but you mentioned Tony Robbins, and I'd love to hear. And I know you always ask this on your podcast, so I, I have to get this one in. What are the book or books uh, that you've given to, to people, or that you recommend to, oh, to well, friends or colleagues? Or well, firstly, I'd say listen to episode nine of the show because that is that is the best books. That's <laughs> the best books, but that's not the that's the cop out answer. So you know, it depends what you want. But we've talked about some. You know, go and read if you are. 20s to 30s, not sure what you're doing. Go and read Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Go and read Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. Go and read David Schwartz, The Magic of Thinking Big. If you are any age, go and read How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think the one thing that amazes me in consulting is everyone in consulting is exceptional, but there are some people who aren't as good with people as others in a people business. And whatever you do, doesn't matter your career, being good with people will help you. You know, unless you are a, uh, I don't even know, unless you do something which does not touch people, you need people skills. So massively, how to win friends and influence people. Those are probably everything for now. I think right now I'm reading Jim Collins, Good to Great, which is awesome. I don't know if you've read it. No, I haven't. Read it. I'll, um, I'm getting a list to send yeah, you. I keep saying you. I'll send you books. <laughs> um, brilliant book. So I was gifted actually by uh, one of my guests, Dave Kelly, turning the flywheel. So we um, we share an office with them in Bath, former guest on the show. and. He gave me Tony Fly, which is a small part of it. Peter actually gave me, who I mentioned earlier, very kindly gave me Good to Great, awesome book, for, particularly for an entrepreneur like yourself. So I will get that. Um, but those are, for me, the books that have really impacted my life. And I said, I'd, I'm going to get you The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. You did. We'll, we'll, we'll trade. <laughs> we'll have a trade. Good stuff. Um, and finally, Nick, um, another question that you ask your guests. So I think it's important to turn it around on you. If you had three people in front of you, uh, one starting their consulting career, uh, one sort of four or five years in, a manager type grade, or one approaching partner, what what one piece of advice would you give for each one of those people? I realize now actually being on the other side of some of these It's things, not that easy, uh, is it? Yeah, how difficult they are. <laughs> Um, I'm not pausing just for dramatic effect. So if I take the first person, so just starting, you know, and I'm, I'm repeating some advice in, from some of my guests. So go and learn, you know, do everything. Take the project that you think is awful. You know, the PMO role up in Scunthorpe, nothing wrong with Scunthorpe, but it's far away from London. Go and take it because you will learn the most on the shit projects. And that's not, you know, whatever you do, get learning opportunities and learn and do it and be humble. You know, I think it's so easy and everyone talks about millennials these days, and I, I can't tell you if it's true or not, but everyone talks about them being snowflakes. You know, if you want to get ahead in any career, just go and do the stuff. Get known as someone who can do, because you will get more stuff. You know, Think of it like a computer game. You've got to get through levels one to five to get to level six. Go and get through level one to five, even if it's rubbish. Quite simple. I think manager is then know why you're in it. You know, You've got to that point where, and actually, again, it's worth saying, I, I feel... I never got to manager, so I'm all sort of, this is secondhand, but you've got to the point where you've got skills. You know, you've got a track record. You can go out to someone like yourself and go, Mitty, what else is out there? And learn when you want to get off the bus. You know, learn, are you in consulting for life because you love it and you see yourself doing it forever or, you know, financially it works for you, whatever it is. It, make that decision and, and decide where you want to get off the bus. Because I think that's the, it's a fourth group I don't ask in here and I realize it's unfair is, I think, and this could be controversial, I don't know, I talk about people who are going to make partner. I think there is a, a group in our industry who gets stuck in, in the senior grades. And that is the group that, you know, hopefully through some of the things I've said and through the interview, because I, I speak to some of them about this. You know, I get, I get people contact me off on the podcast is consulting is brilliant 
if you want it to be. If you hate it, it's the worst thing in the world. You know, who wants to be away from their family four nights a week, working 12-hour days, if you don't love it? And other guests have made this point around loving it. And so there's sort of a, an extension to manager, which is if you're anywhere between manager and director, and even probably partner, and you don't love it, get out. Because... I've seen so many. I mean, you probably get yeah, this all the time, you know. And the hard thing is, then you get trapped in that world of you're making phenomenal money, and there's a change, and maybe that's a slight step down in salary, maybe it's a change in responsibility, but take control of your career, know where you're going, and almost the hardest thing, I guess, must be. And you again, you probably have these conversations more than I do. Know if you're not going to make it. Yeah, and that's the hardest <laughs> thing, isn't it? The, the carrot is often there; it's just kept just out of reach, and I think we find. You know, the one thing I would say to add to that is you have options. One of the great things about being a consultant and the skill set you develop is that it will give you options, yeah. whether it's going in-house, whether it's going contracting, going from a big consultancy to a smaller one. You know, there are opportunities to change the situation you're in. And I think sometimes it's just, you know, taking the plunge and believing in, in all those great skills you've picked up along the way, especially if you're at that level. Oh, completely. And that's, you know, I think it's knowing that because I think it's often when you're in the thick of it, it seems like there aren't. But knowing someone like you coming, you know, go and speak to James and his team at JBM. They're brilliant. Thank you. Got to get a plug in there. <laughs> and then I think the, you know, the last group, and I've got no advice for how to be a good partner. I've never been there. But all I can say, having been on the other end, is remember what got you there. And remember the little people yeah. and I think the best partners I've worked for the ones I looked up to and I still look up to are the ones who would make you feel like the only one in the room when they talk to you even though you were an analyst or a consultant or a senior consultant and from a career perspective yeah okay you know they need to they need to motivate you they, they there is you know a lot of consultancies put a lot of focus on their people but ultimately juniors can sniff a mile away if you're in it for yourself yeah or you're in it for for others and yeah I remember there's, you know, we've, we all know people who are in both camps. And that's my only thing is don't forget as a leader of a business, what's got you there, who's got you there. And remember what it was like when you were 22. I think that's, that's brilliant advice. And it, and I think it transcends yeah. industries and, and outside of consulting, just from a leadership perspective, don't forget what it was like when you were 21, just starting. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure I make those mistakes. I'm sure you do, but you know, do your best not to. So yeah, that is my, my four, not three bits of advice, mate. Thank you very much, Nick. So if people want to connect, I'm sure they know how to get a hold of you, but is there any... I run, I run a little podcast. Where do you want to point them? Which direction? Uh, well, I, you know, if you are listening to this or you've watched us, and thank you to anyone who has you know, stuck through this, you know who we are. But you know, Nick at createengage.co.uk, nickatclimbingconsulting.com, both websites are there. You've got me on LinkedIn. And do, you know, I genuinely, I say this at the end of every episode and to start is doing these podcasts is quite a solitary thing you know i have the conversations with the guests and i love conversations like this but you don't know if anyone's enjoying it you don't know if anyone's listening i see numbers on a screen and i really do mean and I, I really do value when a listener messages me and says that interview did this for me or i really got this from that interview or that person helped me change something you know that's amazing i don't care if it makes money if i'm helping people improve their situation or their career or or how they think about something because I've provided an interview that's amazing so please do let me know if you're enjoying it let me maybe don't tell me if you think it's rubbish but let me know if you're enjoying it feel free to reach out I'd love to hear from you well congratulations on getting to 50 podcasts here's to the next 50 and uh, and, and thanks very much for sharing your story no thank you for, and thank you very much for being the interviewer absolute pleasure and thank you to those who've watched and stuck with us till the end Cheers. thanks Nick 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Climb In Consulting podcast. If you did, I would be very grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice, whichever one you may be using. And please also share this with anyone that you think could benefit from hearing today's interview. If you want to get in touch or give me any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to drop me an email. It's nick at climbinconsulting.com and I look forward to hearing from you.